welcome to Energy Central's Power Perspectives Podcast. This is the show where we bring thought leaders from across the utility industry to share their insight on what's shaping the power sector today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Jason Price of West Monroe. Coming to you from New York City, joining me from Orlando, Florida, is Energy Central's community manager and podcast producer, Matt Chester. The intersection of the energy industry with the transportation sector continues to expand. While the industries have long been somewhat connected, the next decade and beyond will see them become even more entangled and symbiotic with the power sector needing to find ways to safely and reliably provide power to expanding fleets of electric vehicles and the automakers and transportation planners needing to coordinate with utilities on charging needs and changing power demand. Matt, you drive an EV, don't you? Yes, I do. What kind of interaction have you experienced as an EV driver with your power provider? You know, so I made the decision to buy one kind of without any specific education from my utility. And I was happy to get a a very small rebate from them for it. And they helped me pick out the charger that would work best in my garage. But it's it's all been me coming to them, which I I thought was pretty interesting. I would have expected that they would want to incentivize me to do even more. Interesting. Well, today's guest, a regular participant in conversations on Energy Central, is looking beyond the interplay of EVs and the grid into what untapped opportunities possibly exist in the coming years that may come from careful planning and shrewd investment. Rather than viewing EVs as a source of power demand, he contends that the batteries of EV fleets are going to be key resources to provide power services to the wider grid, turning that relationship upside down. It's a fascinating topic and one we're eager to dig into. Before we get started with introductions, let's first acknowledge the Energy Central partners who are making today's episode possible. To West Monroe, West Monroe works with the nation's largest electric, gas, and water utilities in their telecommunications, grid modernization, and digital and workforce transformations. West Monroe brings a multidisciplinary team that blends utility operations and technology expertise to address modernizing aging infrastructure, providing advisory on transportation electrification, ADMS deployments, data and analytics, and cybersecurity. To our sponsors at ESRI, ESRI is an international supplier of geographic information, GIS software, web GIS, and geodatabase management applications. To Guidehouse, formerly Navigant Research, a premier market research and advisory firm covering the global energy transformation. To Enterix, Enterix is focused on delivering transformative broadband that enables the modernization of critical infrastructure for the energy, transportation, logistics, and other sectors of our economy. And to Scott Madden. Scott Madden is a management consulting firm serving clients across the energy utility ecosystem. Areas of focus include transmission and distribution, the grid edge, generation, energy markets, rates and regulations, corporate sustainability, and corporate services. The firm helps clients develop and implement strategies, improve critical operations, reorganize departments and entire companies, and implement a myriad of initiatives. Joining us on today's episode of Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast is Charlie Botsford, Program Manager at CWB Energy Solutions and a member of Energy Central's network of experts. Charlie brings with him 30 years of experience in engineering design, distributed energy, chemical engineering, and environmental management. He is passionate about the energy industry, and currently he's got some great focus on the world of EV charging infrastructure. 
Charlie participates in the California Vehicle Grid Integration Working Group, the Society of Automotive Engineers Vehicle to Grid Standard, the West Coast Electric Highway, and more, which gives Charlie keen insight into the relationship between electric vehicles and the grid that's likely unmatched by most people in the industry. And with those insights, he's been a vocal advocate for the possibility that EVs and the growing fleet of EV batteries in homes, garages, and businesses across the country can be harnessed in a way that benefits utilities, drivers, and the grid at large. If you're an Energy Central regular, you've likely run across the numerous posts, comments, and nuggets of wisdom that Charlie has shared with the community ever since he joined the platform way back in 2006. So with that history and his wealth of knowledge, we're excited to hear what he has to say today. So let's get the conversation started. Charlie Botsford, welcome to the Energy Central Power Perspectives Podcast. Well, thanks for the intro. You've nailed the setup. Instead of looking at EVs as a burden the grid will somehow need to deal with, we should really look at EVs as a way to enhance grid stability, provide grid services that make the future grid resilient and reliable, and enable renewables penetration into the bargain. Terrific. So, Charlie, let's dive right in. The situation the energy industry finds itself in is that renewables are important for decarbonization, but they are intermittent. Building out grid-scale energy storage can help smooth over these issues, but doing so is expensive. So you offer that there's an energy storage solution that can fill that gap more efficiently. Tell us about that. Well, yes, more efficiently and more importantly, more cost-effectively. We hear a lot about the four-hour battery systems that are installed with solar to increase the project value, but then people say we need 24-hour or 100-hour systems if we really want to replace fossil fuel generation. They do the calculation of how much energy storage that is, how much it costs, and it makes their head explode. The fallacy in that argument is extrapolating a local requirement to the bulk grid. In reality, if we install enough energy storage in the bulk, we get to a point of essentially infinite hours of energy storage. A great example of this is the operation of the Western energy and balance market and how that smooths real-time power requirements. So whether we install stationary storage or use EVs as storage or some combination, we'll eventually get to that same point. Well, that's an interesting idea, but let's make sure we're all working off the same assumptions and definitions. So how do EV batteries and traditional grid-tied batteries compare And when we talk about acronyms like V to G versus V1G, what are these differences? Yeah, so there's a lot of difference between V1G, which is also called unidirectional, it's one direction, versus V2G, which is bidirectional, in other words, putting power back onto the grid. Estimates are that when you talk about bulk grid storage, 90% of grid storage services can actually be handled by just simple smart charging or V1G vehicle grid integration, basically. The idea is to control how fast you charge an EV. And that's all you need to do. Just turn the the charger on, turn it off, and or some combination there. It's just smart charging. And you can do a lot with that. You can even do up and down frequency regulation with just unidirectional charge control. Southern California, Edison will be conducting large-scale pilots soon to demonstrate the capabilities of V1G in the aggregate, meaning in bulk. But what's fine for bulk purposes needs a little help for local applications, which is like 
for instance, providing power for a house or a building in emergency. For this, you really do need a vehicle to grid or a combination, something called vehicle to house or vehicle to building. It's basically a fancy way of saying you're just putting power from the battery pack back onto the grid or to the house. This has been proven in various forms over the past 20 years, but has really gained a lot of momentum recently. I've been fortunate to participate in the Society of Automotive Engineers, SAE, J3072 Standards Committee for AC Beta Grid Alternating Current B2G, uh, which will allow the onboard charger of an EV to transfer power from its battery pack back to the grid. EVs can also transfer power through a DC charger back to the grid, and that's called DC, direct current, V to G. And I believe Pacific Gas and Electric will be conducting large-scale pilots in the next year or so to demonstrate capabilities of V to G in the aggregate, and primarily DC, but potentially also AC. Well, thanks for that level setting. So. You know, back to the topic at hand, we know that the EV market is growing, but will it really grow at the necessary scale to provide such grid service? Well, one EV doesn't provide a whole lot of energy storage, or does it? Actually, a single EV with a 60 kilowatt hour battery pack could power a house for several days in an emergency outage. Stories abound regarding the cold snap in Texas last winter and those with Tesla vehicles able to ride out the storm in their garage. The U.S. now has approximately 2 million EVs, with almost a million in California alone. By 2030, we're talking 100 gigawatts of power capacity and half a terawatt hour of energy storage just in California alone via EV batteries. That's a lot of power and a lot of energy. For bulk purposes, this is essentially infinite hours of available storage to enable renewables penetration onto the grid. To provide additional power and storage, you know, just besides EVs, we'll have plenty of inexpensive retired EV batteries that can be used for grid services. You don't really want to scrap old EV batteries. So this application is a win-win, considering reuse is much better than automatically landfilling old battery packs. And the valuation for grid services is compelling. It's a lot less expensive than brand new batteries. The batteries are very high quality. And even though they've reached their end of life in a vehicle, they still have plenty of life available for grid services. And again, they're very inexpensive that way. Well, okay. So that's the utility perspective. What about the EV market? Is this type of strategy an extra consideration that automakers will have to factor in when building their batteries? Or does this actually provide a useful opportunity from their perspective? In my discussions with EV manufacturers, and as the guys we've been dealing with forever and ever, Honda, Ford, GM, Volkswagen, this actually provides a great opportunity. Smart charging or V1G has zero impact on an EV battery because you're you're just charging it. You might be charging it at a different rate, but it's just one direction charging. And it's a 100% round trip efficiency because there's no round trip. It's just one way charging. So that's easy. And again, as as I said before, it's like 90% of bulk grid services you can do with just one direction smart charging. For B2G charging, the system round trip efficiency loss is about 10 to 15% due to power 
transformation. You have to go from DC to AC and back to DC. So the vehicle manufacturers would actually need to replace their current type of onboard charger with a bidirectional charger to do AC V to G. And then DC V to G, you just do that with an off-board regular DC charger. So from a vehicle manufacturer perspective, not really that big a deal. And there's a lot of work, a lot of standards works in development and at the utility level to make sure that all of this happens. Interesting. Well, you know, Matt, certainly jump in here as an EV driver, but you know, for owners of EVs, whether it's personal vehicles or corporate fleets, how will they be compensated? And what exactly goes on with the battery here? Is there a degree of degradation that they have to experience? EV drivers think they might have potential pack degradation with B2G because you're taking power back out of the battery and you're cycling it. You know, would that cause degradation? But actual data on new generation packs really shows little degradation. A current program in the Netherlands has demonstrated a high value of compensation to EV drivers for B2G services in a market environment. So right now, market, B2G services, EV drivers getting quite a bit of money for that service and very little pack degradation. I think we'll see market aggregators who enlist EV driver and fleets to bid for grid services just like we see for a natural gas power plant or wind farm. In fact, I think I just saw an article about Tesla going into the Texas market recently. Maybe not as Tesla vehicles, but certainly for energy storage. If I do jump in here, you know, I mentioned at the top how I was a little surprised that my utility wasn't one that was kind of jumping in more to be engaging on, on the EV driver side. And so I've asked about, oh, is this something you're looking at? I've asked about time of use rates and, and really heard that that's not something they have on the docket right now. And I don't know if it's, it's a smaller utility or they're waiting to see how other people do it first. But I'm curious, Charlie, is, is that a hesitation that you think is common? Is, and is there a specific reason behind it? Utilities are a pretty conservative bunch. And they like to see other utilities do things. And on the West Coast, we've got the three IOUs with Edison and PG&E and San Diego Gas and Electric really getting hundreds of millions of dollars from CPUC to do these pilot programs. And I think a lot of utilities are just taking the wait and see attitude. Plus, it takes a while for things to work through the regulatory environment. So state level rules and standards and a year or two years before things kind of settle out. But we'll see that going in. And then all of the utilities are going to hop on board with that next three to five years. Charlie, let's talk about the presidential administration and its position and investing here in clean energy, especially his campaign pledges and such. And of course, uh, Jennifer Granholm, the Secretary of Energy, who's also seems to be all in with electric vehicles, especially coming from the state of Michigan. So the question is basically, with the influx of federal spending from infrastructure policies, COVID relief and more, how can those funds be put to use in a positive way for this type of grid-tied EV storage? Energy Central's had this series of articles by Doug Hausman that says, if I were king, and I, I love those, that series of articles, if I were king, I would advise the administration to focus EV charging infrastructure funds on two primary areas. One would be long dwell time charging, which is really the foundation of how EVs currently get charged and how they'll get charged in the future. And this is at 
single family residential, multi-unit dwelling like condo complexes and apartment buildings, workplaces, depot charging, depot charging if, if like for school buses. That's number one. That's long dwell time charging, primarily overnight workplaces during the day. And then number two would be corridor DC fast charging for light, medium, and heavy-duty vehicles. Those are the two primary categories that I would advise the administration. Go all in. Those are the two that get the biggest bang for the buck as far as really getting EV infrastructure out there that needs happening. So the first category provides the greatest opportunity to supply grid services, as it turns out. For instance, overnight charging for school buses and even during the day. So school buses, I don't know if you know, but they, they go out in the morning and then they go out in the afternoon. But in the middle of the day, they, there's plenty of opportunity for them to do V2G services. Uh, the second category enables true equivalency with conventional internal combustion vehicles. That's the old thing about, you know, you go out and you want to drive across the country. Could you do it? Well, you actually can nowadays. Maybe it was a little bit sketchy 20 years ago. But the more and more DC fast charging that gets out there, like Tesla's 20,000 port supercharger network just in the U.S. alone is, is amazing. and EV Electrify America and EVGo and, and some of the other networks. All of that with DC fast charging really puts electric vehicles on the same footing as gasoline-powered vehicles. So I think those two scenarios were where the administration really needs to put their money, our money, actually, my money. <laughs> Well, I appreciate the shout out to Doug Hausman. He was actually our guest on episode 35. And yeah, he has a lot of um, rich ideas and thoughts to share in this space. So yeah, thanks for recognizing him. So Charlie, all this sounds compelling in theory, but are there strategies being put to use in practice anywhere today? And what are the latest projects pushing the limit? Sure. Well, way back in the 90s, I worked with a guy named Dr. Alec Brooks, really smart guy. And in the late 90s, he was with AC Propulsion and demonstrated V2G capabilities to the California Air Resources Board. And by the way, he also demonstrated up and down frequency regulation using just mere V2G or V1G smart charging, unidirectional smart charging. So that was all way back, I think, 1998 when he did that demo to California Air Resources Board. The really impressive capabilities have been demonstrated over the last really quarter century. Real world programs have cropped up over the last couple of years, um, showing actual market application, that market in the Netherlands I mentioned earlier. It's exciting times for those of us who have been around long enough to see the slow but steady developments now coming to fruition. Yeah, that's great. Well, Charlie, now we want to step back from the EV battery conversation and learn more about you and who you are. So we do that in our patented lightning round, which consists of a couple of quick questions that require a response of just one word or one phrase. So are you ready? I'm ready. Go for it. All right. What's been your all-time favorite vacation destination? Australia. What did you want to be when you were growing up? Oddly, an engineer. I don't know why I didn't want to be a doctor or an astronaut. My dad was a master mechanic who could fix anything. And I suppose that's probably what inspired me to be an engineer. What book, movie, or TV show do you think you've revisited the most with repeat viewings or readings? 
Highlander, not even close. <laughs> if you could have one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Taco flavored Doritos, but I'm not sure that qualifies as an actual meal. Uh, and what are you most inspired by? Well, okay, it sounds stock, but the ingenuity of our fellow humans to solve problems is really impressive. Again, I think back to my dad who could fix anything and my mom who is a beautiful writer. Well done. Joe, we appreciate you allowing us to peel back the curtain a bit. For being a good sport with our lightning round, you've earned the right to the final word of the podcast. So knowing that the key utility decision makers across the country are listening to what you have to say, what's your immediate call to action to them? And how can they start putting action behind these ideas? Well, you know, over the years, I've come to respect market forces and look for the sign of a valid business model behind technology applications. Just because you can make a prototype work doesn't mean the technology can be economically viable. Likewise, I think utilities should search for ways to build a future grid for stability and resiliency based on technology that's economically sound and market tested. That was great. And, you know, thank you for this wonderful conversation, Charlie. I know that our audience will have questions and comments on this fascinating topic. So we encourage them to head to Energy Central. And also want to thank you, Charlie, for being an active member of the community and sharing your wisdom throughout. You'll find exclusive bonus clips of parts of today's conversation that couldn't fit into the final cut of the episode. So it's accessible only to registered members of the Energy Central community. Charlie Botsford, thank you so much once more for your sharing your insight with us on today's episode of the podcast. Well, thank you, Matt. And thank you, Jason. Really appreciate the time. Once again, I'm your host, Jason Price. Plug in and stay fully charged in the discussion by hopping into the community at energycentral.com. See you next time at the Energy Central Power Perspectives Podcast. Mm -hmm.